the cheetah, the fastest land animal in the world. In three seconds, this majestic big cat can accelerate from zero to 110 kilometers per hour, where once this graceful animal ranged across most of Africa and into Asia, today they are found in only 9% of their historic ranges. Only 7,000 still live in the wild. The cheetah is a protected species and is endangered, but there are a few countries that allow their legal export. But irregularities within the trade system means that abuse is significant. Cheetah being taken from the wild and essentially laundered through legal captive breeding facilities. Where are those big cats being taken? Well, approximately 300 cheetahs a year are smuggled out of East Africa and the Horn as trophy pets to wander the palatial homes of royalty and the wealthy in the Middle East. This illicit trade is driven by high profits. At the end of the chain, a tame cheetah cub can command a price as high as 30,000 US dollars. Meanwhile, the poacher in Somalia might get just 1% of that. But these high profits come at the expense of this beautiful and unique big cat, which, if the current trade persists, the species is headed for virtual extinction. Welcome to Africa and the Global Illicit Economy by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Today, we're speaking to Patricia Trikorake, a wildlife trafficking research associate at Colorado State University. We're talking to her about her new paper, Live Cheetahs, the second report in the GI's Black Market Briefs series, which examines market dynamics and prices of selected live and derivative products in the illegal wildlife trade. Hi, Patricia, and welcome to the show. I want to start by saying that one of the things that really struck me in the report is that you state that cheetahs are already headed for virtual extinction. Could you just break that down in terms of the numbers of cheetahs that are left in the wild and the biggest threats to their survival? Yes, of course. Well, first of all, you have to consider that all the data indicates that at the beginning of the 20th century, that's 120 years ago, there were 100,000 cheetahs in the world. Today, there are only just over 7,000, according to a survey that was done in 2016. They're also reduced to only 9% of their historical range. So they have lost over 90% of all the places where they used to live. The main threats that cheetahs are facing are conflict with humans, loss of prey, loss of habitat, and of course, the illegal wildlife trade. Now, when it comes to the regulation of the trade, what has been the response from CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, in terms of the vulnerability of cheetahs and their dwindling population? CITES has to work based on official data if you want to call it that way. So they based all their decisions on information that is provided by the member parties, the governments. And unfortunately, there are not enough confiscations, which means that's the official information scientists can take into account. There are many cheetahs in the illegal trade that are not confiscated, that go undetected and therefore they are not taken into consideration. 
Another issue that we face is that the area that has been most studied and that has been more active in terms of trying to counter the cheetah trafficking is a non-country. It's not considered a country. It's the Somaliland region of Somalia. So the numbers there are the highest in terms of illegal cheetah trade. And CITES, well, CITES cannot take that into account when they make decisions. In 2019, the main consumer countries, which are in the Gulf states, in the Arabian Peninsula, well, they basically reported that the cheetah trade was limited. And that, that resulted in the decision to, to delete all the decisions that had been adopted previously and therefore, well, decreasing the importance of the issue. However, there is a joint effort with CITES and the Convention on Migratory Species to look into the trade in big cats. So this includes cheetah. And what I am concerned about is that the trade in cheetahs is not similar to the trade in lions or tigers or leopards, mostly because tigers and lions are basically traded for their parts and derivatives. And cheetahs are traded live, mostly. We will take a closer look at the illegal trade in just a moment. But first, Patricia, could you explain how the legal trade in cheetahs operates? Cheetahs can be traded legally as if they were Appendix 2 species, meaning they can be traded for commercial purposes if they are captive bred and they are bred by facilities that are registered with CITES. There are two of these facilities in the world and they are in South Africa. Captive bred cheetahs can also be traded for non-commercial purposes. Unfortunately, the definition of non-commercial is very vague. So zoo can be commercial or non-commercial. Educational purposes can be commercial or (laughs) non-commercial. And nobody can find out how this is determined. The importing country is the one that has to decide if it's commercial or not. And we have seen instances where, you know, cheetahs are sent to to zoos in China that might be or might not be for commercial purposes and were exported by non-CITES registered facility. So that is where, you know, the legal trade might converge with the illegal trade in terms of bad permits, not enough control over the definition of whether it's commercial or not. But the other concern that has been brought up for years, and South Africa is trying to resolve it, was the issue of cheetahs being taken from the wild to use in captive breeding facilities. So this is something that we cannot actually confirm that it's happening, but it's been a concern of many years. So South Africa being the largest cheetah exporter in the world is, as far as we know, they're taking steps to implement control methods like a DNA database. I think that would be the ideal way to track these cheetahs. Currently, they require that the cheetahs are chipped, but you know you can put chips in any animal. So that might not be the best way to 
to verify that the cheetahs are indeed captive bred and of captive bred parrots. Right. So now let's turn to the illicit market. What drives the demand for cheetahs in the illegal wildlife trade? Well, we've come across different explanations. The one that is most obvious is status. Many people seek to to emulate the famous, the rich, the, the powerful who own these animals as pets. So they also want to have a cheetah or a lion or a chimpanzee or any of these animals that should not be pets. Another explanation that we've heard is that mostly women will buy these animals because they feel bad for them. They think they're saving them. Because when you look at some of the pictures that I see online on social media of cubs for sale, some of them look terrible. I mean, they're they're bald, they've lost their hair, they look skinny, so they look unhealthy. So this is probably another reason. And one that I, I have my doubts about is that some people say that they buy them to save them because they're going to die in the wild anyway. <laughs> so that's why they buy them. That really is unbelievable. Let's turn to the smuggling routes. You touched on Somaliland, but tell us more about the key source countries and key destinations, as well as the modes of transport used to move cheetahs from East Africa to the Middle East. Well, the sources appear to be mostly Ethiopia, Somalia and Somaliland, where currently the it is not known how many cheetahs live there. Unfortunately, there have been no surveys of those areas because they're not safe to survey. <laughs> and we have also been told by some of the dealers that they have taken cheetahs from northern Kenya. So these are the main source areas. The transport, we know by land, they use vehicles like trucks, SUVs. We've also heard of some cheetahs being taken on camelback. <laughs> this was a case we had of cheetahs being taken from Ethiopia to Somaliland. As you probably know, if you look at the map, Somaliland and Puntland, which is the northern part of Somalia, they have a very long coastline facing Yemen and uh, Oman across the Gulf of Aden. So once the cheetahs get to this coast by land, either by camel or, or trucks, they are transported by boat. These boats are dows, so they're used to transport all kinds of goods between the Arabian Peninsula and the Horn of Africa. They can be legal or illegal. They can be transporting livestock or weapons or humans illegally, drugs, chemicals, all kinds of things get across that gulf. And then once they get into Yemen, they get again transported by land to mostly Saudi Arabia. We've got a case of cheetahs that were going from Yemen through Oman into the Emirates. So these are mostly the trafficking routes. And so speaking of controls, how is this trade affected by COVID-19, considering that at one point or another, there must have been travel and trade restrictions from East Africa to other parts of the world? Well, if you look at the range of pets, <laughs> exotic pets that, that are owned by people in the Arabian Peninsula, you'll see that 
There are all kinds of birds and primates and great apes, orangutans, chimps, tigers, lions, etc. Many of these animals have to be transported by air because they come from faraway places like, the, you know, the orangutans from Malaysia or Indonesia or chimps from West Africa, Central Africa. All these animals have to be transported by air because there's no way to transport them in any other way. So during COVID, air transportation was quite restricted. And it seems that most of the dealers turned to cheetahs because cheetahs are transported by boat and there were no restrictions. So there was an increase. I saw an increase in uh, in the number of cheetahs that were being offered for sale online and also the reports I got from the field. Well, on that subject, can you explain the importance of the online space? What role do particular apps or social media platforms play when it comes to the illegal trade of cheetahs? Well, social media affects the trade in two ways. One is, of course, that it provides the dealers with, with a platform to reach a broader pool of buyers. The other one is that people around the world are encouraging this illegal trade when they look at these posts and they like them, they comment saying, oh, I wish I was you, you're so lucky, you're so brave. Uh, so they're encouraging the these men that are posing with their exotic animals on social media. And what would you say are the key factors that influence the price of a live cheetah as it makes its way through the supply chain? The key factors seem to be mainly the level of tameness of the cheetahs. The tamer the, the cub, the higher the price, and also their health status. So a healthy cub that is tame, that is not, you know, biting and scratching, might sell for, you know, $7,000. Well, depending on what stage of the, of the trafficking routes. So an unhealthy cub, that is very wild, it can sell very, very inexpensively. For the sake of quantifying the scale of the loss, do you know how many cheetahs are lost to the illegal trade every year? We have always said that it's an average of 300 that get across the Gulf of Aden into the Arabian Peninsula. We still believe that's a fair number. It could be more, it could be less. But those are the ones that probably get across. I mean, many end up dying even before they reach the coast. That has been the case with cheetahs that we have cared for when they've been confiscated in Somaliland. Cheetahs are very delicate animals. They require very specialized care, space, food. So they're very susceptible to diseases. So many, many cheetahs don't make it. They simply die. So sad. Have there been any notable coordinated regional efforts to address this illegal trade of cheetahs? Mostly in the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, Somaliland, Somalia, Kenya. Yeah, there have been coordinated efforts. However, those borders are very hard to police. They're very deserted areas. They're, they're in, in risky areas. You have Al-Shabaab in, in Somalia, bordering with Kenya and Ethiopia. You have very arid, unpopulated areas. So 
they're very difficult to police. And these are countries that are not wealthy. So the resources are not there. In terms of the Arabian Peninsula, there has been, that I know of, no collaboration with the Horn of Africa. So that is an issue. Another issue is that let's say there are, maybe there are a hundred pet cheetahs in Saudi Arabia. A hundred pet cheetahs would need a lot of space if they were confiscated. So all these pet cheetahs would, would require very, very large areas if they were to be confiscated and housed properly. And there are no such spaces anywhere. The other thing that one of the CITES regulations is that the first choice for confiscated animals is return them to their country of origin. And in the case of cheetahs, that would also represent a problem because there is no space. These cheetahs are not going to go back in the wild. They were taken too young, sometimes as young as two weeks old. They're not going to go back in the wild. They're going to have to be in captivity for the rest of their lives. So, again, you know, the countries in the Horn of Africa, they don't have the resources to set up facilities that can house, you know, hundreds of cheetahs. So what, in your view, then, is required for a sustainable and long-term solution? I think there should be more collaboration between the source, transit, and destination countries. The countries that have more resources, like the Gulf states, could help reinforce enforcement in the Horn of Africa. There could be more surveillance at the borders. I've always said, you know, if you if you can really survey that border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia, you would stop so many cheetahs. And the same with the border between Ethiopia and Somalia and Somaliland, because I believe most of the cheetahs come from Ethiopia. There has to be more enforcement and the countries that don't have the resources need to be given the resources. You know, sometimes the enforcement officials don't even have uniforms. So uh, they they don't have the tools to be more effective, even though they're really trying. Patricia, just to understand how the law enforcement process works, once the cheetah is confiscated, does anything happen to the person in whose care or possession the cheetah was found in? In Somaliland, for example, there is a law that prohibits taking wild animals. However, if those animals are affecting your livelihood, I guess you can kill them or take them. So many of the cases where there have been confiscations in Somaliland, people have claimed that the mother of the cubs was killing their livestock. So that basically makes them non-guilty. <laughs> but in my head, at least, I wonder... Well, if the mother is killing cubs, why is the mother not dead? Why do they take the cubs? Some might think that by taking the cubs, they will sell them and replace the value of the animals that the mother killed. But I think it's <laughs> that's not all the time the case. There has been one conviction, I, I should say two convictions of the same person in Somaliland. The same guy was convicted back in 2016. He was given three years in jail, but was let out 
before the first year was over. By the way, this was the second time he was caught. The first time he was not arrested. Or if he was arrested, he was arrested for a few hours. The third time, after he was caught with, I think it was about 10 cops, he's now in jail. I believe he's appealing. He was arrested with another person who was given a year in prison. So those are the only convictions that I know in connection with cheetah trafficking. That is so worrying. You say this man was caught with 10 cheetahs. Well, the first time he was caught with nine and he was not arrested. The second time he was caught with six and he was arrested and convicted. And the last one, I really don't remember the number, but it might have been around 10. So my final question is about Somaliland's response. Despite patchy success rates and severe lack of resources, do you think that there are some things that Somaliland is getting right? Well, absolutely. I mean, at least they are taking this seriously. They are very responsive when they, uh, when they have reports of cheetahs being held illegally and they go and confiscate them or rescue them in the cases where these cubs are there because of human-wildlife conflict. So I would say they're the country that is making the most efforts to counter the trade. Ethiopia is not left behind. They're, they, they're doing their best. But in Ethiopia, most of the trafficking happens in eastern Ethiopia, which is Ethio-Somali region. For many years, it was very difficult for the federal government to take action in that region. Each region has a regional president in Ethiopia. So that region specifically was not a very easy region to deal with during the time there was the previous regional president. Today, there have been several workshops and meetings around the Jijiga area, which is close to the border with Somaliland. So they're, they're trying. But again, these are areas that have not enough resources to patrol, to police everything. It's very difficult. Patricia, thank you so much for sharing your research with us today. That's Patricia Tricorake, a wildlife trafficking research associate at Colorado State University. There is a link to Patricia's report called Live Cheetahs in the summary to this podcast. Live Cheetahs is the second report of the Global Initiative's Black Market Briefs series. You can learn more about the series on our website, globalinitiative.net, where you can also find other research and multimedia content on organized crime. And of course, we're also across all social media platforms. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time on Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Thanks for listening.